and came out, the ones who did it, whoa, they will be, um, who's back there? Mike, hello. Uh, what are you doing? That's way too loud. It's way too, I'm, I'm pitchy. I'm just pitchy. Hello, hello. Kind of ringy, kind of ringy. Okay. All right. Today, I welcome everyone. We are going to dive in. I passed out some paper, and the reason I'm, I'm passing this out today is because if we don't understand this next portion, then the rest of what we talk about just gets really foggy and things. And so, I, um, I, like I said, I've been studying this for a while, sort of on study overload, honestly. You know where you just start poking too much information in your brain? And you don't, like, I can't remember um, how to get to the bank because I think I might have pushed those memories out. But I'm serious. Like, you know, you get to where you start, you, you know what I'm talking about? When you start getting too much information in your brain at one time, I'm like, I dream about this. I focus on this to the point I'm like, I've been started burning food. I don't ever burn food. I don't know. Mike's like, what is wrong with you? I don't know. I burnt something again. You can ask him. It's like, maybe I'm going crazy. So, so anyway, but all that to be said is I'm excited about teaching this because I think it's very important for the day that we're living. And, you know, how many of us, we want to be, be an informed church. Amen. We Amen. want to be a prepared people, and we don't want to be caught off guard by what is coming on the earth. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, you won't have to flip around your Bible too much. That's why I gave you these, um, this, this scripture. And you can go, what I've done is I've written and I've put scriptures out so you can kind of follow the whole thing. And you can look them up and read the scriptures around the scripture that I gave you. Don't you know when somebody just gives you a scripture and pokes it out there, always go back. Check my textualization. You know what I mean? Don't take my word for any of this. You go check me, okay? That's what I want you to do because I want you to have proper understanding. I want you to say the Bible says this, not Andrea says the Bible says this. You know, and there's a difference in those two things. And sometimes we've settled for saying what other people are saying instead of saying what the word actually says. And so as this week I was thinking, now you'd think that after, I mean, I have been teaching classes like this, different age groups. I started, I've taught my first class when I was 20. And I remember it because Lainey, my daughter who just turned 31, was in an infant carrier beside me. That's where she was right there, and I was teaching. And I have taught since I was 20. I'm 51 now, so I'll let you do the math. I mean, I've taught for a long time. So, I mean, I've got some knowledge of the Bible, but here of Recently, I thought, oh, I don't know anything because I've been, you know, when you learn so much, you're like, how did I, how was I so dumb all along? And so just this past week, now this may sound strange to you. It's like all of a sudden this question popped in my brain. I thought, where is the scripture? Where is the scripture that says this tribulation will be seven years long? Can y'all tell me? There's not one. There's not one. But if I say to you, how long is the tribulation? All of you in concert are going to say what? How did you get that information? Okay, that's good. So you're good. You're on the right place. Okay, so we got a little study here. So that's good. Hold that. But if I were to ask you, now, 
Now, if I ask you that, where do you get the seven years? Now, she knows, but who else knows what she's talking about? So it comes from, it's called, I talked about it a little bit last week, it's called Daniel's 70th week. Now, what we're going to talk about today, I don't want you to be as dumb as me. Like, I knew that, but then when I'm, when I'm thinking in my brain, where's my scriptural, where are my scriptural references for a seven-year tribulation? And I'm looking, I'm thinking through, what, I, I breathe Matthew 24 again. Does it say it in there? No. I can read, I can read Luke 14. Uh, you don't have to look it up. I've got the notes. That's what you're getting the notes for. You don't have to prove anything. I'm setting up the problem to give you the answer. So, so what we see here is that I looked at, you know, I can look at Luke 21. I can look at Mark 13. These are all the same synoptic descriptions of Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is the most detailed of the end times. That's Jesus' teaching from the Mount of Olives on the end times. So I can look in all those places and see, where's that seven years? And I don't, and I don't have it. So now... I will tell you the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks is as controversial as anything, any other controversy on the planet. So am I saying that the tribulation won't be seven, seven years? No, I believe that, I don't believe that, I believe that some of our language has framed it and our langu- language matters, how we explain something makes us see it in a certain way. While I don't think we should call the whole of the seven years the tribulation, I think we should call it what the Bible calls it, Daniel's 70th week. Jesus said the great tribulation starts when? We read it last week. When does the great tribulation start? It was right in Matthew 24. Ah, we got it right there. When? At the abomination of desolation. What is the abomination of desolation? It's when the Antichrist sets up his image in the temple of God. Well, that tells us a few things right there. And And that is what we know. Revelation teaches us the term three and a half or 42 months, three and a half years or 42 months, is repeated over and over again in Revelation. Well, we we infer that it's Daniel's 70th week because what is half of seven? Three and a half. But know this, it's very important for you to be able to properly interpret the scripture for what the scripture says. Jesus says, and then as the prophecy spoken of by by Daniel, let the reader understand. So that's what we're going to do today is we're going to be working on Letting the reader understand that then when the, when the abomination that makes desolate is set up, then there will be great tribulation such as the world has never seen before nor will ever see again. And we know that that time, according to Daniel, is when he sets on the when the antichrist sets up his temple his image in the temple is three and a half years jesus then goes on to say the time will be so great what time all the tribulation or all the all of daniel's 70th week or the great tribulation 
the Great Tribulation. How long is the Great Tribulation? Three and a half years. Jesus said, if that time had not been cut short, no one would be saved. What time is he going to cut short? The three and a half years. Does that make sense? Now, some of you are like, I have never heard any of this. So let's read, our, let's read what we start up. Okay. So let's turn now to Jeremiah 30. I told you we weren't going to go anywhere, but we are going to go there. I'll go if you don't want to go. So I, my, my point in this is not to confuse anyone or give you some new doctrine, but my point is to actually, see, this is the first time in my life I've ever, I've just always taken what I have been taught about my system, your system, and I've said, that sounds good enough to me. You know, and you know what I'm talking about? Smarter people did this with, with PhDs behind their name and divinity and theology. They ought to be smart enough. But see, there's just as many smart people in all the different camps. There's smart people in all-millennial. There's smart people in post-millennial. There's smart people in pre-tribulation. There's smart people or pre-millennial. There's smart people in dispensational pre-millennial. So if there's smart people everywhere, I mean smart people, then which one is it? Which smart person is right? So we have to come back to us being people of the word. See, don't just, that's why I'm telling you, don't just take it from me. You're going to need to be a smart person for yourself. Not that you have to go to Bible college and get a theological degree, but you do need to know how to, as Paul told Timothy, to rightly divide the word of truth. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go to Jeremiah 30. So my, my point, I don't have an ax to grind. In, in all reality, I'll just put it to you this way. My teaching in this fashion, if some of our district officials listen to it, they probably call me in and um, give me a slap. Do I care? Y'all probably know me well enough to know. I would love to talk to some of those smart people. Okay. And I'm not being, I'm not being ugly. I'm just being Andrea. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start reading here Daniel 30 and 4. Okay. N this is Jeremiah. And by the way, too, there's so much end time prophecy in the Old Testament. It is one of the most covered events. The second coming of Jesus is more covered than the first coming of Jesus. And most of us are like, I don't even know what those scriptures mean. So that's what we're going to work on. Now, these are the words of Adonai spoke, spoken to Israel and to Judah. For thus says Adonai, we heard a sound of trembling, of dread. There is no shalom. There's no peace. Ask now and see whether a man can give birth. Why do I see? So that, that's what he says. Can a man give birth? Well, then why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman giving birth? Why have all faces turned pale? Oy, for that day is monumental. There will be none like it, a time of trouble for Jacob, yet out of it he will be saved. This is another name for Daniel's 70th week. Jacob's trouble. But the trouble doesn't start till when? Three and a half 
years. Because the Bible says that when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come on them like a woman that is in travail. The, the analogy we talked about it last week of travail is used over and over and over again. Jesus says beginning of birth pains. And then he moves it and he says, and then there will be great tribulation. How many of you women who've had children know that when labor starts, there's something else called Braxton Hicks. And what that is, you don't even, you don't even know. You're like, is this it? You know, and you run when you're your first child, you run to the emergency room like a thousand times, and what they do, they pat you on the head and they send you home. That's just Braxton Hicks. You're like, nobody hurts. They're like, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's true. And how I many, how many of you women, you know what I mean? You know, y'all all know this. It's, it's, we've all done it. And so you're like, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? I mean, that's where the church is at right now. We're like, it's COVID. Is this it? It's like Braxton Hicks. It's, Bra it's Braxton Hicks. It's just your Braxton Hicks is a woman's body getting ready for the main event. Is that not right? So then once labor starts, and that's what, you know, I asked. I said, Lord, with my first one, because I, I never went to the hospital thinking I was in labor, but I thought I was in labor a number of times, and I was late. So I had, you know, it wasn't like I thought I was going early. And so I didn't want to be that person to go and have them pat on the head because y'all know, if you know anything about me, you know I hate to be wrong. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> it's, it's endearing, I'm sure. So, and so I prayed. I said, Lord, let me just let my water break because then that's a check, right? Then I don't have to question. So I had prayed that Lainey was due in March. She didn't show up. I mean, we moved houses. I mean, I'm post-due, right? And I'm standing on the kitchen counter putting up dishes, you know, and I'm like out here with Lainey. I'm trying everything to go into labor. You give me castor oil, I'll drink it, you know, I'll do it all. Well, then I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. We've completely unpacked a new house. We've done it all. I get up in the middle of the night, and I'm going to the restroom, maybe TMI for y'all, and, you know, I'm like, my water breaks. And so, it, right, so and it, and she was two weeks late. And so here I am, and I'm like, oh, and then as soon as that happens, what happens next? I'm like, oh, this is the real thing. So how many of you understand that when the real thing happens, the old thing that you thought was the real thing, all of a sudden you're aware in the same way. We're going to know. But see, you don't know. But when it's your first baby, and this is, I mean, this is the first coming of the Lord. In the, you know, this is, so everybody, everybody's going to be in that weird area. Right. And so there's a lot of information given so that we can properly, just like when your water breaks and there's no question, so we can see the different stages of delivery. And the delivery that's coming forth is the delivery of the kingdom of God on earth led by the seed of David who is Jesus Christ to sit on the throne of David and rule and reign for a thousand years from the actual location of Jerusalem. Does that now seem like a little bit like, it's going to be a big deal. 
And so all, all, of the, all of the thing is coming to this. And so Jacob's trouble and then Daniel's 70th week. Daniel 9 is where we pick up. So all who have tried to create lasting peace between Israel and her neighbors have failed. Yet the word, word of God says that one man will appear to succeed at creating peace. That's when the scroll, we hadn't even got to the scroll yet, is taken and the first seal is pulled. And the white horse, the man, the apocalyptic horse, the man on the white horse will begin to ride. And he will go out and he will be wearing a crown, but that crown is a Stefano, a temporary crown, not a diadem. And he will have a bow, but it doesn't speak of arrows. And so apparently this man will begin riding and it will be <clears throat> in making peace agreements. Now, as all of you know, peace agreements between two countries, like say me and Tim, that we're two countries. And now we are not super friendly with one another, but we don't hate one another either, right? But so what happens is now, but any moment, if Tim, it could break loose. If Tim comes against my vested interests, or if I come against Tim's vested interest, what's going to happen? It's war. So what countries do, while Tim is never going to be my best friend and I'm never going to be his best friend, I can get some interest in his country, like I could trade some oil with you or something. You could need some of my resources, and I could take some of your resources. And now what we've got are aligned interests. That's how it works. We're still not best friends. But if somebody else, say you now, you're going to be an enemy to both of us and you're going to come to Tim and you're going to touch because you're a neighbor of his but not a neighbor of mine. You're going to come and you're going to try to stomp on him. What am I going to do? He's going to, first off, he's going to go, excuse me, we're aligned, invested. We have a covenant. We have a treaty together. This is how, this, this is how political maneuvering works right now. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to plot myself against you and scratch and crow and say, you touch him, you touch me. Are you prepared to take both of us on? That's, this is how politics work. And so when I say this, when I say that there's peace, don't get the kind of peace that y'all are like we're all sitting around the campfire and singing kumbaya. This is <clears throat> political peace between nations. These are, this is a type of peace that is forged on documents. This is not a peace between the heart. You know, where if I have peace between my brother, that's a peace. You know what I'm talking about. This is a peace that has stipulations. Y'all know what you're talking about, don't you? Many of us, see, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He's not the Prince of this kind of peace. He's the Prince of actual heart-to-heart -heart peace where he brings people together into a family and gives us not only aligned interests but aligned hearts. See the difference there? So what we're talking about, this is a peace, but it's a peace. And so this is why Paul says to the church at Thessalonica in 5 and 3, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So he uses the same language as labor as Jesus does in Matthew 24. When labor pains come on you as a woman, how do you turn it back? And they can only try to do it medically, right? But in, in Paul's day when he's using the analogy, 
He didn't have. When labor starts, labor finishes. That's the point here. When labor starts, you're not going to pull it back. There is fixing to be a full coming however long it takes. You know what I'm saying? Like some people, you know, you're like, I was 28 hours, 48 hours. You know, some people, I was 10 seconds. You know, it, it just depends. <clears throat> okay, this man of peace will begin the final countdown to the return of Jesus the Messiah. This man, this man's peace plan. Peace plan. Now, we've already talked about what peace is. And he will, this is, listen to this. This is Daniel 9:27, And he will confirm a covenant <coughs> with many. Many is not all, is it? For one week. But in the middle of the week. How long's a week, y'all? How long is the middle of the week? Are y'all tracking with me now? Good. Okay, in the middle of the week, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering so that, <clears throat> that tells us the, stru- the temple structure has to be what? Built. And I put here, the temple structure is, needs, is needed for Jews to access the temple mount for worship and presumably is a part of the agreement. Now, right now, the Jews cannot even go on the temple mount. Now, in, the, in 1967, the war, the seven-day war, they took back over control of Jerusalem. But within that agreement, see, here we are, an agreement, the Palestinians retained the worship rights of the Temple Mount, and the Jews negotiated the, that their, their police force, their peacekeeping forces, would be the ones who kept the peace. So in other words, Palestinian soldiers weren't there. It was only Jewish soldiers, and they were enforcing a peace covenant between Israel and the Palestinians. So all of Jerusalem is occupied under the control of the Jews, but it's like this one little spot belongs to the Palestinians, and the Jews have to defend it for the Palestinians. So if a Jew tries to come up and go, this is our temple by God, and I'm going to be worshiping here, he's going to get a machine gun in his head. Because there's an agreement. So it's a peace, but is it a peace? But what's happening right now is, and we just got back from Israel, there's a softening of those troops that are keeping it. And so what's happening is, so now let's say, <clears throat> let's say an, a, a zealous Israelite goes storming up to the Temple Mount. We couldn't even get up there when we were there. It's just, but he wouldn't. He would, he would be, I mean, he would be a guy who would be crazy because our guy told us, he said, I would never step on the Temple Mount. I said, why? He said, I might accidentally step on the place where the Holies of Holies was at. that what he said? He said, it's dangerous. I would never walk up there. And he's saying, what he's saying is, I'm not a priest. You see how this is like, you know, see, we have to understand in our Western Christianization of the gospel that we're missing out. This is, this is a Jewish book. This is a Jewish book. And I'm not saying we go back into Judaism. Don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying, if we don't stick on Hebrew ears, 
and all we have is American ears trying to listen to a Hebrew message, we're going we're to turn this all into some book about the USA. And it's not. It's not even, but you can't even find us. And there are people who take Jerusalem and pull the USA out of it because J-E-R-U-S-U-S-A is in the middle of it. I'm like, come on. That's not the kind of eschatology I intend to preach in here. Just so if you're wondering, if you're looking for that, go to another church. <laughs> or pull up any number of YouTube kooks because I've heard them all. Just also, y'all are going to love this. We're going to get to the place. I, I just got my book called uh, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. We will be covering aliens as well. Just, there you go. We're going to cover it. We're going to cover it. But right now, we're trying to figure out why is this last week seven years? I don't believe in aliens, y'all. But here, okay, you're scared, right? People are here for the first time. Sorry, he's worried about you. I love it. Thank you, Tim. So here, I will tell you, I, when, in studying eschatology, it, there is always a vein that drives me straight to people who believe in alien abduction. Now, you may think that's crazy, but it does. I get, you know, and, it, and there are people even now who have aligned with it in, in pre-millennial, you know, like, Jimmy Evans, not aligned with anything. He hasn't, but there are people, they talk about it. There's, and so what happens is, come here, Mike, for a second. Come here, run, run. I don't, I don't, okay, thank you. Look at him, wow. Okay, now let's say you have a belief, right? Yes. And I have a belief. And now our belief mostly don't go together at all, like chalk and cheese, right? You know what I mean? Like they don't fit. But, and I'm kind of weird and he's not. I'll be weird in this one. I'm the weird alien person, right? That's not hard to believe. That's right. I'm the weird person who believes in aliens and everything, right? And he is this, he's this, you know, handsome mainline preacher, right, that we all trust and follow, right? But let's say there's one little thread of our theology, like getting snatched out of here, that aligns. And so what you do, because you want me to agree with you, this happens all the time. You do want me to agree with you, don't you? So what, so what do you do? We sort of do this. So we start aligning on points because ultimately he wants his point to be strong and I align with him there. So he sort of brings me in in a kind of sort of, okay, I'll agree with you if you agree with me sort of way. Got it. Okay. That's all I need you for. Can, can I walk back or No, you walk. Okay. So, and that's what I'm talking about here. So this man's peace. So here we are. Now let's go back. The Temple Mount, you'll understand. And on the wing of the temple, now that's really confusing language. The wing of the temple just means on the uppermost part of the temple will come the ab abomination that causes desolation until the decreed destruction, decreed destruction is poured out on him. So the Antichrist is going to set up his image in the temple, and there is a decreed destruction that is, that is already going to come on him, right? And we know that's going to be at the end of the whole thing when Christ comes back. Now, what does that mean, the wing of the temple? Let's just read this first in the Good News Literal Translation. That ruler will have a firm agreement with many people for seven years, and when 
half this time has passed, three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. The awful horror will be placed on the highest point of the temple. Now, this is going to help you. Think about Jesus' temptation. What did, what did Satan tell him? He took him to the pinnacle of the temple. What Satan was doing is you can be my man. You can be my antichrist. See the temptation there? The pinnacle of the temple is where the antichrist, in other words, don't think about it. Get out of your like logical mind of thinking he's going to be floating above in the pinnacle. The pinnacle of the temple means the highest, most majestic, most important part. Where's the most important part of the White House? Where's the pinnacle of the White House? The Oval Office. It's not the top of the White House. See, you got to get your, the pinnacle of a thing is the most important place. Where's the pinnacle of the temple? Where's the highest position? The holies of holies. You see what I'm saying? See, you got to know how to interpret this. Don't let your mind go, I don't know, he's going to be floating above the, the, the steeple, I guess. See, because you've just created, well, of course, of course, because you have a Western mind. So you built a steeple in your imagination, and you had somebody floating there. Because you're, you're stick, you've got USA ears listening to a Hebrew word. So we've got to step with it. We've got to get the Hebrew ears on our head to hear. When they, when they hear the wing of the temple or the pinnacle of the temple, they're not thinking, oh, the steeple on the church. They don't have steeples or churches. The pinnacle of the temple is the holies of holies. And so when he takes Jesus and puts him on the pinnacle of the temple, and I believe it was probably raised up because he said, if you throw yourself down. But the whole imagery there is to put paint Jesus, Satan is tempting him. The temptation would not be temptation if it were not possible. I can't tempt you, Tommy. Tommy, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you a billion dollars. Are you tempted? <laughs> well, why wouldn't you be tempted? Wait, wait, let me ask another person. Mike, if I... He's going to know, Mike, if I tell you, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you a billion dollars. <laughs> no. The answer to the question is, <clears throat> it's not temptation if you know I don't have a billion dollars. So the point is, is it was actual temptation because it could have been done. There was something that, so Satan did have the ability. You understand that? It would not have been temptation if he had been offering something that was not possible or plausible. You've got to know that point. So we're seeing that come through here. So think about that. Okay. Now. <clears throat> okay. What did I put here? Let's just go on. The ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, we read Daniel. We read that Daniel, who was in exile in Babylon with the Jewish people. I don't have time to cover that. You're just going to have to know that Daniel was in Babylon with the Jewish people. 
he was studying the book of Jeremiah looking for answers. They're in an exile, and he's studying Jeremiah, who prophesied before they went into exile, and he's looking for answers. Now, Daniel's heart, this is what he read in Daniel 29 and 10. Now, if I say Daniel 29 and 11, most of you know, because graduation's coming up, yeah, I know the plans I have for you, said the Lord. Plans I'll give you hope. Right? Now, we plaster that all over, and it's a great scripture. Many of you may have it as your theme scripture for your life, and that's good. That's good. I'm not taking away from that. And it, you'll find it on every graduation scripture, on every graduation card that's of a Christian sort. It'll either be beer drinking or, Je- Daniel, or you know, Jeremiah 29 and 11. That's all that you'll find out there. And so you choose the Christian one because you don't want to promote beer drinking, and so you hand them that, Daniel 20, or, or Jeremiah 29 and 11. But Daniel, Jeremiah 29 and 11 is attached to a prophecy about Israel. It's about Tommy, but it's not about Tommy. You know what I mean? It's about Andrea, but it's not about Andrea. So it behooves me to find out what is this actual message about. It's actually about Israel. And so with regarding their captivity, and here is what, let's back up to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, Israel. So Israel goes into Babylonian captivity because they did not obey the Lord. Jeremiah prophesies, you're going to they're you're gonna be destroyed. I mean, I think so much. It's like I, I feel like I'm a Jeremiah prophet. You know what I mean? I'm just like going ballistic, and people are going, she's so excited. What's wrong with her? I'm going to go to a church that's more uplifting. You know, I, I feel this way so much. Like, I'm over here going, ah! and everybody's going, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to want what I got one day. So Daniel is here now. He's been one of the first of the deportees. He goes into Babylonian captivity. They come in and capture him. He's 15 years of age. He stays in Babylon the whole of his life. He never goes back to Israel. But he's a man of God the entire time. And you can read about his exploits in Daniel, the book of Daniel, about him. And so we find he's in lion's den. It's the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he's in, he's in Babylon. And Daniel is praying. And he's, he's a man, and he's reading Jeremiah. You want to know what did Daniel read in Babylonian captivity? He read Jeremiah. All of a sudden, Jeremiah, the raving, weeping, maniac prophet who couldn't get anybody's attention in his generation, all of a sudden, he becomes very relevant because all the prophets who were saying, it's going to be fine, they turned out to be the ones who were wrong. And Daniel was the one, I mean, and Jeremiah was the one who was right. So Daniel, he's reading Jeremiah, and he comes across this scripture. I'm sure he read it 10,000 times, right? But it hit him. You know, it was revelation. You know, it's like, Daniel's like, let me do the math. It's the 69th year. That's what he realizes. I'm in the 69th year. I'm looking at a whole group of people that are living in the 69th year. 
You are the 69th year generation. What comes before 70? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> 70 is the last week. Where, where are you living right now? Hello, class of 69. This is you. I would love for you to read Daniel 1 through 20 in your own time and see how the 69th year generation responded to the place they were at in history. Daniel 9, 1 through 20, it's in your notes. We should find our 69th year posture <clears throat> here too as well. <clears throat> as pilgrims of a foreign world, just like Daniel, he was a pilgrim in a foreign world at the 69th year who are yearning for the restoration that only Christ can bring. Let me explain the 60-year revelation of Daniel. This is what the angel comes up and says. So he's in the 69th year, and he, he read their 70 years completed, and he knows next year's the 70th year. So he's like, he falls on his knees and like, we're right at the end. Oh, God, show me, show me, show me, show me. God, show me. And the angel Gabriel shows up says, hey, Daniel, I want to talk to you about the 69th year and the 70-year completion, but let's expand it a little bit. So he parallels it, and this is what the angel says to him. He says that he explained the vision of 70 weeks of years that will cover the future to, every, um, to the very end of the age. As he prayed, Gabriel came to tell him of an additional time period, this time of 77s or 490 years. This was the time that would pass before sin would end and everlasting righteousness would be established. Here's the actual scripture. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, wow, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. All the way to anointing Jesus as the Messiah King who rules from Jerusalem. All to seal up prophecy. What does it mean to seal up prophecy? Prophecy, For everything just goes check, 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 check. All of it's done. Nothing left. All of these things are going to be accomplished. And for everlasting righteousness to be coming in. Do we have everlasting righteousness right now? I do because I'm a, I'm a child of God. See, I'm in the covenant of Christ, so I have everlasting righteousness, but the world's not living under everlasting righteousness. We wouldn't have school shootings. So we have, we, and the, how many of you want to see it put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to finish transgression? See, there's a finishing of transgression. You know, you know why transgression is going to be finished? Because it's going to come down to just two sides. You're either here. Are you either there? It's either. It's one or the other. It's going to finish. Trans See, you don't understand. Once we step into this, wherever you're at in your belief system, once the, when I say we step into this, whenever this time, whenever the 69th week, the calendar is just torn off. And whenever Jesus takes the scroll and pops that first seal, it has begun. And just like labor, It will not be turned back. If you can stop the birth of a baby in the day of the Bible without medical intervention, even with a complicated birth, 
something's ending. It might be the end of the mother's life and the end of the child's life. But, we're, but this pregnancy is terminating. We, we all understand that, don't we? So here we are. This is it. So here's the end time prophecy and what the 77s mean. Okay, sevens. That's the, that's the Hebrew word, shavim. Probably not pronouncing it right. Sevens is, a, is similar to the concept of a decade, which is 10 years. But it refers to a seven-year period. We all refer to decades, don't we? Very common. If I say two decades, how many of you are like, let me do the math on that? Right. If I say four decades, y'all are right tracking with me, right? Because we understand we're, we are we are all of the same culture, so we understand that language, right? Hebrews, if you would have said sevens or a shavim, they would have said they would have. It just it works the same way as decades. It would have meant. Are you talking about a week? Are you talking about a seven years? It works the exact same way for a Hebrew. So 77s, therefore, represent a period of 490 years because 70 times 7 equals what? 490 years before the prophecy would be fulfilled and all those things would be put to an end. So let's think about this. Think about Jesus telling Peter to forgive his offender 70 times 7. Jesus was saying, forgive them until forgiveness is fulfilled or completed within you. Just as 490 years is a number that stands for fulfillment or finishing a thing. Jesus completed our redemption and he will draw Israel to himself as the recognized Messiah of the Jewish nation simply because he has promised to do so. You can read Romans 11 and see that. His word is his bond and it is a sure foundation that is unable to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will remain. So there are 490 years of prophetic timeline. You're like, well, 49 years has passed a long time, but let's see how it breaks out. Okay, of these 490 years, and I hope y'all, you have to get this or it's going to all be a cloud to you. 483 have already been fulfilled with remarkable precision. They represent the time between the decree of the Persian king, Artaxerxes, that's all found in Daniel 9, to rebuild Jerusalem. That's Nehemiah. When Nehemiah goes to the king and Artaxerxes, the king gives him the decree to go and build the walls of Jerusalem. See, the, the prophecy was this, that from the time the word goes to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And it will be rebuilt with streets and trench, but in a time of trouble. Nehemiah was commissioned to do what? Was he commissioned to build the temple? walls the temple was already standing it was the walls the trench that's the moat it's it was talking about the walls so when the decree goes out to build the walls and the city we can start the timer now look at this is so amazing from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild jerusalem until the anointed one the ruler comes the anointed one the ruler comes the first time there will be 77s and 62 sevens. So that's 49 plus the 483. We'll get our 400 and, um, yeah, the 434. Um, yeah. So let's not get lost in this. Let's discover the timeline. You can read Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai. You can understand all of those things that are going on. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. Okay. What's that talking about? He was put to death, right? And he said, 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you. So did he set up his kingdom in Jerusalem at that time? Nope. He said, but you wouldn't. You weren't willing. So he left. And he went to the cross. That's why he wept. Do you understand why? Now you're just like going, it's like. No, that was in Gethsemane. He wept over Jerusalem. It was a weeping because he saw what was coming for his nation. And so here he is, and he's standing there. So if we unpack the whole thing, this is how it unpacks. The first 49 years, the temple is built. The second set, after that, Messiah comes, the 62 weeks. That's, the total of those is 683 weeks, right, until Messiah is cut off and killed. The historical fulfillment of that, now y'all get this, in 444 B.C., Artaxerxes told Nehemiah to go and build the walls, right? That decree to build the walls sent, sent Nehemiah into action and the prophecy's ticking now. So we're clicking, clicking, time, years, 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 years. From 444 B.C. to Christ's birth at 6 A.D., that's when he was born. You look it up, 6 A.D. You add those together to his death in 33 A.D. totals 483 years. Now look at this. Many scholars have nailed this down to the exact day of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem on March the 30th, 33 A.D. When they're all waving palm branches, right? And they're going, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. What did the Pharisees and the religious rulers do? We love a parade. No. What'd they say? Shut up. Shut him up. You know why? They knew the prophecy. And they knew what he was doing. He was claiming himself to be the Messiah, which he happened to be. So they're worshiping him on the day that he came in on his triumphant entry was the day to the exact T of the prophecy in Daniel. They didn't see it. They didn't want to see it. And so here we see this. And how many of us don't want to see what we don't want to see? Because it's an inconvenient truth. So he goes, and from 443, that's 6 AD, and then he died on April the 3rd, 33 BC, or AD. That was the full. And now what happened? 683 years have been fulfilled. Right? But what do we have left to fulfill? We subtract. Four, there's 490 years. So we subtract 483. And there's our last week of Daniel. Now, if y'all doubt that this stuff is true, I would just love y'all to explain. I will tell you, liberal scholarship who studies Hebrew literature, atheist scholarship, so to speak, they read Daniel and they study it because of its literary value. The accuracy of Daniel is so profound. You know what they say? It was written after. They say Daniel is so perfect on the historical prophecies that it had to be written 
after the historical things came and was at it was the the text was manipulated to include it there's no they say there's no person that could see everything in such detail and have it fulfilled unless however you happen to be god so when i say something like this bible is extraterrestrial it didn't come from this realm it came to this realm from another realm and anyone who has ears to hear can hear what the Spirit says. But you've got to be willing to look at this book and not pump in your Americanism or your kookyism. I don't believe that you should be reading headlines trying to plot them in prophecy. I believe you should be reading prophecy and watching the horizon to find out where you are at in any given time and listening to it as a Hebrew would, not as an kooky American would trying to prophesy and forecast back into a document that was not written to you, it was written for you. Does that make sense? So, I know, and, and I had to go, th- I, pa- I, I did all this, I wrote all this out so you could read it later. I know that this is a lot of numbers, but see, I had to do this. I knew it potentially could be boring and you could glaze over listening to numbers. But you have, yes. <laughs> so, no wonder you. Well, thank you. That's good. That's good. I appreciate that. And the reason I I do this, because number one, I love you, and I love the Word of God. And my intention, I'm not trying to be someone special. I'm not trying to write a book. I'm not trying to sell a book. I'm not trying to tell you anything because of how it's going to make me feel. I'm not trying to align my interests, even with my own denomination. I've already said this. The way I'm teaching this, I would be in trouble for teaching this. I don't care. Not because I don't love the Assemblies of God and I'm a credential minister and I uphold everything. I'm not saying that. But my focus is here, is for your knowledge and edification. And I think you know, I wear black and white all the time. I think it's a symbol of who I am. I am a person. I can't play Monopoly and win because you have to make alliances with people on the side. You know what I mean? I can't do it. I'm just not that person. I can't, you know, you let, I'll give you my railroad and I'll land on boardwalk, you know, for, for, I just, it doesn't work for me because I feel like it's just something, I'm doing all these different things and I'm working the angle here and I'm working the angle here. And I'm always just like, what's wrong? We can't, and so I'm always getting, you know, I will. Mike is, no, I don't win. I never win at Monopoly because I don't play the game. You know what I'm talking about? If you play Monopoly, you got to play the game. Okay, so what I always do is just take my worst enemy at Monopoly and I give all my money and property to the other person and go, there. Okay, now let's read Daniel 9.27. He, the ruler at that time, will confirm a covenant, a peace treaty with many for one seven. So where are we at now in the prophecy? We're in the last the last week what we call what we affectionately call the tribulation and I don't I'm not I'm not opposed to that language but I just want you to understand that that's that language doesn't it's not accurate it's not accurate yes okay yeah if I yeah please ask 
We're talking about the last week, and it has two different parts. You see what I mean? The last week, Daniel's last week of seven years is, because it's like a decade, it's seven, you know, okay, so seven, it has two parts. It has, as Jesus called it, the beginning of sorrows. It's just right in Matthew 24. The beginning of sorrows, labor starting, and then the Antichrist will set up his, the abomination, he said, Jesus says, there will be the abomination of desolation. So we already know, Jesus is teaching us about Daniel. In the temple. In the three and a half. The three and a half. The three and a half. So we've got the whole is seven the last week. Halfway through the seven, the abomination, the Antichrist declares himself to be God. Then, right. So what we've got to get, so what are we not to right yet? What are some problems with the last week right now that you can just say logically? We don't have a temple, and we aren't making sacrifices. Not we, and I say we, you know what I mean? I'm talking about Israel. So I'm not, I'm not thinking I'm some, I'm not trying to go back to the old covenant, y'all. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just teaching what the Bible's saying here. Okay, so let's finish reading this. Okay, in the middle of the seven, right there, right there, it's Daniel. What's the middle of the seven? Got it. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and Jesus said he would. And the temple will be set, in the temple will be set up the abomination that causes desolation. That is the abomination that causes desolation. What is the abomination of desolation that Paul describes it in in 2 Thessalonians? He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or to be worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. That's what he'll do. But when will he do it? In the last week. So here we're all now. I feel like now we're all actually tracking with the same language, which is not, I'm not trying to teach a theological system. Here are the systems. Whoops. I'm not trying to teach the theological systems. I'm only trying to teach the Bible. Now, these theological systems use all this information too. I'm not saying they're good or bad or ugly. And that's not my point here. I'm just saying that I want to let the Bible inform me, not something I've learned all my life from childhood. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So when Jesus was asked about his coming in the end of the age, he referred to the above verse. And we're fixing to leave with this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the most holy place, let the reader understand. That's all we're doing today. It took me all of this time just to get you to the place where Jesus said, let the reader understand. Do you see why teaching is so important? I'm just letting the reader understand. In other words, pay attention, action is required. Now, what action? If you'll go back and read 16 of Matthew 24, it tells the reader what to, when they see the abomination of desolation set up in the temple, what does Jesus tell them to do? Run. That's it. That's what he tells in Jerusalem. Not you. I mean, if you're living in, if you live in Jerusalem at that time, you know what you better do? When my brother used to get a rope like this, four years older than me, he's out in the yard, and I'm there with him. When I saw, I mean, I would always be watching the rope for a rope coming out. You know what he'd do? He's doing this with a big lariat. My brother would go. This is what my brother did. He'd go, 
run. I had two choices. What were they? Or I would run. Now, running was my only hope of survival because it's harder to hit a moving target. And he, wa- and he wanted me to run. He wanted to make it, you know, fun. I found out later on it's better to just stand there and not be, you know, he would rope you and pull you up, and you're like, leave me alone. But it just that's hard for me to do. So he would say, he would say, you're like, where are your parents? I didn't have parents. You know, they just said, y'all, learn how to fight. The world's tough. You know, so he said, run. And I take off running, and what's my worst possible scenario? Right, a foot. Ugh. That's what he wanted. It was a foot. He was hoping for a foot. And then I'm just on my face, and he's dragging me. Y'all are like, how were you raised? That, that's what I just told you. <laughs> so when he says, let the reader understand, run, I get that. It's like, okay, where else in the Bible do we see that? Here it is. Like Lot fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife turned back, and she was changed into a stationary salt formation. God's rescue plan for Lot was information. Y'all catching that? What does his rescue look like? It looks like, for Lot, it was information. And you had to do something with the information. God's rescue plan for Lot was information to run and run now. God's rescue plan for Rahab was hunker down behind the scarlet thread. Hers wasn't run, it's hunker down. God's rescue plan for Noah was build a big boat and get inside. God's rescue plan for Israel was kill the lamb and paint the blood over your doors and get inside until my judgment and wrath have passed over. So are you seeing rescue plans? See, if all you've ever heard is a rescue plan that God snatches us out of here. I'm not saying I'm trying to change your perspective. I'm trying to give you the word of God. That's all I'm trying to do. I, you know what? I'm going on a chicken train too, if I could. I'm, I'm ending right here, Keith. Thank you. If this is so, if this is so, God's rescue of Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue. This is Peter. The Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly. Because this is what Peter's using is, God's, is Lot's rescue. God knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So here's the deal. God has enough power. Should he not choose to rapture us? That, okay, can we just put that in there? Let's just say, we all want a rapture. Who wants a rapture? Raise your hand. Woohoo! Of course. Why wouldn't we? It'd be morons not to, right? But if God chose and a rapture wasn't, and some other theologian is right, because we can't all be right, can we? Somebody's going to be wrong in this, and I want to be prepared for whoever's right and whoever's wrong. So if God doesn't rescue us, in the way of snatching us out of here. How can he rescue us? He can tell us to run. He can give us information. He can give us information of where to hunker down. He can tell us the process by which we can believe the blood and be, per- and be protected. Because when he rescued the children of Israel from Egypt, <clears throat> he didn't snatch them up and then pull them back down. He said, you hide right here. And what does a thief in the night come to do? Because, see, now he's not saying, but there's, in other words, that's a law. That's a good, that's a good, 
He's saying when it happens, it's going to be it's going to be destruction. Yeah. So thank y'all.